episode of the Litwad Podcast with me, Manuel. Before I introduce to this guest, I would like to really thank those who took their time to listen to the first interview I had with my anagnomist. That was on episode two. If you haven't listened to it, you can go back and you know download and listen to it. I'm sure you can find it on the same platform where you found this, either on Spotify, Podbean, SoundCloud, Anchor, and various other podcast platforms. On today's episode, I speak with a friend of mine, Ikenda Mwachiko. He's also a contributor to the Litwab. We talk about gold dates and the church. I hope you really find this interesting and please do leave a review that will really help us to grow and that will help others find us. And finally, I wish you all a Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year ahead. It's something that we read about and I would say get involved in if not waste our time with. But when it comes to this atheism, not believing in God and whatnot, most times I find that the conversations on the internet, they just don't go anywhere. So I, most times I rather, you know, I rather want to sit down with these people and talk. But my problem with them is they never want to get out of the internet environment and have real conversations. I don't know if you've experienced that. Too. I think I understand understand what you're talking about. Um, the truth is that the, the internet has a space for communication. Is is really there's a lot that it does to mm-hmm. our communication. So it so this applies not just with conversations about religion and about yeah. faith, but it, it, it applies to a lot of other things, politics. Um, sports. So uh, um, communication, for example, might not be as pleasant or amicable or as polite as we would find like wants to have it yeah. um, in the real world outside of the internet. Maybe partly because it's it's almost it's almost like there are no faces there. It's not it's not really the same thing as as communicating face to face where you have to deal with facial signals and uh, facial gestures, uh, physical gestures, and uh, trying to like interact with people, or empathizing with, with their actions and reactions and all the things that come with it. There's a lot that goes into that. And there's a lot that society, that we have, we have like been programmed by the society in which we have grown up in and have lived our lives. In. So the reactions, that, the actions and reactions that we might exhibit outside of the online space might differ from what we have, from, from what we encounter, what we even exhibit while we're online. It applies to the conversations about about faith and about religion, uh, as it does everything else. I understand that, that there's something else that might be going on with people who tend to be dismissive or almost um, condescending about expressions of faith. There's this sense that uh, there's some kind of intellectual superiority that shows that, that like, people who do not have uh, faith or who profess to be atheists. A lot of this, they call it, I mean, uh, they're labeled internet atheists. <laughs> um, it's almost like, it's almost like a pejorative um, term for them. What what they actually do is they label people who profess faith of some kind ignorant, and then they proceed to make a caricature of yes. the beliefs of these people. A lot of this, when they're challenged to lay out their criticisms, I mean, logically, put yeah. it all out so that we can look at it and analyze and criticize, we find that there's really not much to what they're saying. It's it's really, it's almost like they're just grandstanding. And mm-hmm. the grandstanding is perhaps motivated by something else other than than, than an actual um, desire for, for truth and for, for, for um, be correct belief or warranted belief. 
it's almost like they're motivated by some kind of sense of wanting to be superior. But the superiority, of course, is not grounded in anything logical or anything factual. That is what we like usually find in many of these cases. Even um, I think when you know the whole new atheism came, sort of a thing came up. You know, likes of Dawkins, Hitchens, you know, Dennett and Harris when they began. Um, someone made the point that it's not really that they are coming up with new arguments or new points, but it's just you know the same old arguments have been responded to, but in a different way. So it's it's like okay, there is nothing new, but it's still the same arguments that have been responded to. But either they just ignore the responses, and you know, rather than deal with how believers, or the religious folks, as it were, have responded to this, you know, they just bring up the same arguments because they have. A new set of audience. Yes, I, I think I have something to say about that. And it is that there's this thing that believers in God are usually accused of doing. And it's it's like they're accused by the non-believers of believing in God as non-believers say that they believe that um, theists, that, that that is people who believe in God, yeah, yeah. have about God is like an, an emotional crutch. So it's like it's something they hold on to to help them get through the sufferings of life. But then we could even point that thing back at them, point that accusation back at them, the atheists or the people who do not profess belief in God. We could say the same thing. We could say that many of these people who make disparaging claims about belief mm-hmm. and belief in God are doing so because they do not want to entertain the possibility that there is a God because of the consequences. And that perhaps explains why they have refused to engage with the arguments in favor of God's existence and his work, his, his, his interaction with mankind. I mean, that's one of a few possible reasons why they have rejected or refused to properly interact with the arguments. It's almost like they're trying to shield themselves from consequence. Of course, the consequence being that when we have a God who presides over all of existence, they have really no option but to submit to him and give yes. their lives over to him. Or else, of course, they would, the, the other option really is to have their lives wished away as for eternity. And I think, you know, broadly, when you look at it, the... Uh... You know, it's called the psychology of belief. It doesn't say anything about whether God exists or not. Yes, so you're not really de- you're not really dealing with the real question. Okay, mm, even yeah, if yeah. it's a psychological crutch, it says nothing about whether God yes. exists or not. Yeah. Okay, it's like you talk about a man is hungry. And I think C.S. Lewis made this point in *Mere Christianity*. Some people have expanded on it. You talk about a man who is hungry. He's hungry because there's such a thing as food. He's thirsty because there's <laughs> such a thing as water. So even if mm. you're saying they're feeling, they have this emotional crutch for a god yeah well it's possible that that is real but it still doesn't yeah. answer the question does god exist mm, it doesn't let's talk about the guy you were chatting with on, on twitter pointed out what he called logical and evidential strength of atheistic arguments and he said mm. of beliefs that this exposes and intimidates believers now let's start with this do you think it's possible to ground logic in an atheistic world my simple answer to that question is no you can't it's I know it's something that we might try to do. Some atheists have tried to have tried to provide some kind of these possible scenarios in which you could imagine an objective reality that um, logic could could function in. 
on atheism. But but it, it's a very hard enterprise, and I think it feels. I know that a lot of other people who have thought, really thought about it also think that it feels. And the reason is that if you are discounting God from the picture, you're discounting God from the picture. So it means that already you're you're taking out what we have known for millennia to be the basis for objective reality, which is God Himself. So if there's no, if we take out God from the picture, what we have is material reality, and the problem is that what we would have in, on that picture is really us human beings perceiving things and trying to grapple with things as we understand them, a lot is as individuals. So we have subjective perceptions of reality. But then there would be no guarantee that my own perception of things, for example, would match yours. It's not clear that we can establish that my perception of reality in my own conscious experience is the same as yours. So I cannot say for absolute certainty that things like, okay, you refer to logic, things like X cannot, I mean, X cannot be X and not X. Yeah, so so this thing about identity, so a, a blunt statement about the nature of reality, you can't, can't ground that anything atheism the best option that you might have on atheism for that is platonism that exists independent of a god mm-hmm. in other words we have things like morality for example which okay so we refer to moral platonism for example where you can have morality that exists objectively independent of a god but well then there's a problem with that um how do you account for a moral platonism the only way you can defend that is to just say that morality exists as a brute fact but the only thing that access that we have to morality apart from god himself is what we imagine apart from god what we would say is morality is something that evolves out of human necessity and, and i think this fits into you know when they talk about moral progress mm. if we're if we're making moral progress, it means at least we're progressing to something, a standard or something that we're looking at, something objective. There's something at least that we're heading to. But if there is no objective grounded for morality, then we can't talk about moral progress. No, we, we, we can't. There's no, if you're progressing, it means that you have a point to which you're progressing. But I mean, if, if it's left for anyone to define what moralities or what, what their version of morality, and in that case, we're talking about uh, moral relativism which I think is something that, that, that actually can flourish in the face where we assume atheism to be a physical um, reality that we live in. Okay, let's talk about what I, what I think is probably, you know, the most potent arguments atheists come up with, you know, the problem of evil. I know you've had that an awful lot. So can you just help, help us outline it and just explain it? The problem of evil is an argument against the existence of God um, based on the existence of evil or of suffering. So it really goes like this. People who believe in God say that God is good, but but then God is good and he's also all-powerful. He's supposed to be able to help the people overcome suffering or whatever it is. In a nutshell, how do you think, as a Christian, Christian worldview responds to this? Okay, um, so the Christian response, there's really there are a number of responses that have been preferred, and one of them is the the argument that um, humans are limited in their capacity to understand. I mean, we're limited in time and space. The fact that we do not know how these things build up to a greater good in God's own eyes doesn't mean, therefore, that that He has no reasons for permitting this uh, suffering it might be that god does have reasons to permit that suffering and that the greater good that comes out of all that suffering is actually exceeds the suffering itself to the point that 
maybe on the long run, that suffering is rendered insignificant compared to the goods that results from it in eternity. There's another response, which is actually closely allied to the first one, is that it doesn't fo- it actually doesn't follow that if God is good and all-powerful, it doesn't follow that if there is evil or if there is good suffering in the world, that uh, there is no God. Because, like I said, God might have any number of reasons why he permits that. And so um, it doesn't, the argument um, in response is that it doesn't necessarily follow. The third response is the, the character building response. I think that's what it's called. Suffering. Suffering actually brings about or has the potential to bring about a refinement or bring, or bring about the best qualities from those who have experienced it. In a nutshell, just to summarize everything, let's just bring this home. You know, someone might ask, why is this relevant? Why is this important? Why should we even be talking about this? I think in, um, was that 2017, around November, I was still in Lagos. I attended the inaugural Atheism Society of Nigeria conference. And yeah, it was a big thing. But in the midst of that, in as much as I really didn't learn anything new in terms of arguments and all that, one thing that's resonated was the fact that, yeah, most of them grew up in what we call a Christian home. They went to church, but they were disappointed with what was going on. And that necessarily doesn't lead to atheism. But what do you think the church should be doing to sort of not just equip youths, but present itself as people who really, really believe what they, what they believe and can defend it? I think that the two fronts, at least, at least on the two fronts on which this thing can be tackled. And of course, before I say that, the church certainly is not doing enough. And it's not doing enough, not just because it's not presenting logical arguments for, for God's existence and logical arguments for Jesus Christ's um, lordship. I think it, there's a more fundamental problem. And the problem is that the church is, is not really reaching out to people at the level of their souls and their deepest desires for, for, for truth for meaning and for life. It's like it makes a lot of promises and then it delivers an unknown of those promises that it makes. Um, I think what um, has to be done or what the church needs to do is, first of all, I mean, just go back to what um, the, the, the original teachings of Jesus Christ himself, one of the apostles, teachings about sacrifice, understanding that the worth of people does not come from the wealth that they have or the status that they, they have achieved. It's bestowed on them by the divine, by God himself. And as image bearers of God, they are to spread this good news that, I mean, God has bestowed his goodness on anyone who, or God bestows his goodness and his very image on anyone who decides to believe in his in His own sacrifice through his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, he's, he's laid the example for us, the example of sacrifice, of self-sacrifice and of love to the extent of laying down our own lives. Second point is really encouraging people to engage with the material of, of Scripture. So it's not just about preaching about things, but about understanding what this text says, understanding what the background in which these books of the Bible were written, the lives of the people at that time, how it related with them, how they understood the texts, how this text should apply to our daily lives. And even also importantly, the history of how all how the message came down to us, the sacrifices that had to be made for the message to come down to us. And of course, the logical arguments, which um, is something that, I mean, we've, we've touched on a bit in this discussion. This, I think this like, 
their, their arguments for, for God and for his sovereignty and his rule over all of, all of the universe. And I mean, just grounding people in, in these things, helping them understand that there is no conflict between science and faith, for example, and that we can live our lives, live, live out our lives, whether regardless of whatever rules that we are playing, whether it is in government or in businesses, whatever professions that we take up, that we can possibly and we can certainly live our lives out. I mean, live a life of that, that Jesus Christ, as Jesus Christ has has shown, that we, we can we can live um, live that life out in the professions and also whatever aspects of our lives that there is or that there are. So um, I think this is the things that the church has to do. The church has to get back to the basics. We see a lot of this in church history. I mean, some I I was thinking recently. I think that we need to encourage Christians to 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 study more about the past, about with the people who brought the faith down to us, what they had to give up. And why they believed what they believed. It's not something that you just as just believe because your parents, those people in your community, community believe and then just take it up and just accept it like that. You have to understand why let it, we should let it be real for us. Let us understand what it is. When we read read the texts of the Bible, I mean the, the Bible, the the scriptures, we should understand that they talk about real people who had real struggles and who Whose victories are, are are victories that we can also have in our lives? They should make sense to us at the existential level. It should reach out to us in our hearts and in our heads. It, it should touch our emotions. It should touch our intellects. It should touch our will. We, sh- we should we, sh- we should all all these faculties should all be involved. We sh- all of us. It should take all of us in. So I, I think this is what the church I think has to do, and it's a very big task. We're very far away from where we should be. It's never too late to start. All right, thanks a lot, Ikena. Um, you've, you're part of the writers at Lakeway, and I really appreciate all you do for us. But outside our website, where do you think people can find out more about you? Okay, so I'm on Twitter at Ikescribbles, I-Y-K-E-S-C-R-I-B-B-L-E-S. Thanks a lot for your time. Okay, thank you very much. Talk to you soon.